Bible translations, uh, different English Bible translations, um, and what the differences are, um, how we got so many, why there are so many different ones, and um, and and then how how should we think about them? How should we how should we judge them? Even if we're looking for a, a Bible to buy for ourselves, for for to do some kind of serious Bible study, what what translation should we be thinking about, or what translations, uh, what group of translations should we be th- should we be thinking about looking at? If we're going to uh, buy a Bible to use as a devotional Bible or, or things like that, is there a different translation we should be looking at from from um, from serious Bible study? If we're going to buy a Bible for a, for a kid um, or for a teenager or maybe for someone who is um, older, like my grandfather was and, and uh, didn't go to high school all the way through, uh, didn't go to high school at all, you know, finished school at grade eight or something like that. How should we be thinking about about those things? Um, and it's a big question because we all have uh, we all have kind of thoughts about it and we all have questions about it, and, it, and it's a kind of a big topic here. Um, I was just I was just looking up on my phone. I shouldn't have been, but while Josh was praying, I googled on my phone, searched on my phone because I forgot to do it beforehand, and uh, and it came up and said that there are over 450 English Bible translations that have been made, more than 450. And we think about some way like like Marcus Lehman, who is, um, you know, working so hard with the with the Chichapu, uh, I think it was called the Chichapu people, and working on a Bible translation for them because they don't have they don't have any translation in their language, right? We're, I'm going to Mexico next week, and there's a, a group there, the Tarahumara pastors, and and they have they have one translation that's that's partially they have a partial translation in their language, um, but it's not a very good one, and it's hard to use, and, and they can't really understand it, so they don't even use it. They use Spanish instead, and there's some missionaries down there working on a on an updated translation that would be more usable for them, um, that they can understand. But but then we have 450 different translations in English, and, and why are there so many? And how should we think about that? And what about people who, um, even even some family members, some friends that, that you all may have, that I may have, some churches just really close to us, not far from us at all, um, who say that uh, that the King James is the only Bible you should use, right? Many of us, probably all of you, grew up reading the King James Version. Your families did. Um, but there, but there's some churches who say who say the King James Version is the only English Bible that is accurate, that's real, that's true, that's faithful, um, and all these other translations are, are are inspired by Satan and are, I mean, they they say some pretty pretty outlandish things like that. So how do we how do we think about that? Well, those are those are all the the kind of questions and and, and things that we're going to talk about over the next four weeks, right? So um, so next week is March or uh, February the the 21st. And so next week we're going to talk about uh, we're going to look at a spectrum of different Bible translations. How do we get so many? Why do we have so many? And then what are the differences? And try to kind of categorize them into um, into 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 different different categories so we can he- hopefully understand them a little bit better. Um, and then the next week, which will be February the 28th, we're going to spend the whole week, uh, the whole night, the whole hour talking about simply the King James only um, issue. Why is it that some churches say that's the only Bible that should be used? Um, is the King James Version a, a good version, or, or is, it, is it not? Um, and then specifically, though, why do churches say that that's the only version, right? In our church, if someone wants to read from the King James Version, that's, that's fine with us. We don't have a problem with that, right? But if someone else reads from a different translation, we're okay with that. We don't have a problem with that either, right? But there are churches who say if you don't read from the King James Version, then you're not being faithful to God, you're perverting the truth, or, or other things like that. So why do they say that, and how do we think about that? 
Um, are they right? Should we change our, our position on that? So all that's going to be discussed on the 28th, February 28th. And then the following week, which will be March the 7th, um, we're going to end up the series like we've done in the past with the, with the question and answer time um, and, a, and a group discussion with several people up on the stage um, kind of talking with each other about the issue, answering questions that, that you all might have, answering questions from each other as well. Um, tonight, though, to start out the series, what we want to talk about tonight is um, just what is it that we believe about the Bible itself? Even before we talk about translations, before we talk about um, which translations are good, which translations might be bad, which translations might be better for certain things or worse for other things, we, want to, we just want to ask the question, what is it that we believe about the Bible? Why is it so important to us to even be thinking that we need to get the Bible right and we need to get the Bible translation right? As you know, the Bible was not written in English originally. It was not, uh, it was not spoken in English. Jesus didn't know English, didn't speak English. Um, and uh, I don't even think there was any such thing as English at, at that time. Um, so the Old Testament, the, the first 39 books of the Bible were written mostly in Hebrew. There are a few sections that were written in Aramaic. Um, and then the New Testament, the 27 books of the New Testament were, were written mostly in Greek. Again, there's a few, a few little passages that are in um, Aramaic, but mostly Hebrew and, and Greek. And now they've been translated into English. And so why is that such an important thing? Why are, we, why are people in our church giving money to the laymans? Why is our church as a, as a, um, as a, as a corporate body giving money to, from our offerings to the laymans to support the work that they're doing? Why is it important to get the Bible into languages where people can understand it? Okay. Well, the first reason is because uh, the Bible is our authority. And you have that on your sheet there. I've given you a little handout, and it's just got a bunch of blanks on it where you don't have to fill anything in or, or try to keep up with what I'm saying or nothing like that. Just some open space for you to write down notes, whatever you want to, okay? But so first of all, the, the, the Bible is our authority. As believers, as Christians, we believe the Bible is authoritative, okay? And, and we, we believe that for several reasons. There are uh, passages in the Bible that you're familiar with that tell us that the, that the words of Scripture are God's words, right? The Bible is... The word of God, it is God speaking to us. The words of scripture are God's words. And we see this in passages like, and we're not gonna read all these for the sake of time. We are gonna turn to a few passages here in a few minutes, but, um, but I'm just gonna name some off. Um, in Exodus 4, chapter, uh, verse 22, in Joshua 24, 2, in 1 Samuel 10, 18, in Isaiah 10, 24, and lots of other passages all throughout the Bible, especially the Old Testament, but also the New Testament. We, we see this phrase come up over and over and over. Thus says the Lord, Right? Thus says the Lord. And then there'll be a quotation of what the Lord said. And so that, that section of the Bible is the Lord speaking. We say this in the New Testament as well. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 37, Paul's writing this letter here to the church in Corinth, and he says, the things that, are, that I'm writing are a command of the Lord. So Paul's writing it. We're going to get to that in a minute. But Paul's writing it, but he says it's a command, that not a command he made up, but it's a command coming from the Lord. In 2 Peter chapter 3, uh, verses 15 and 16, uh, we're told the same thing about, about Paul's letters there. Peter's talking about Paul's letters. We're going to read that passage here later on. Um, and in First uh, Timothy chapter 5, in the, in the New Testament, uh, this is an interesting passage. This is Paul writing in First Timothy 5, and he quoted from Deuteronomy, and then he also quoted from Luke. The Gospel of Luke. Paul quoted from the Gospel of Luke, so it was already written. Paul knew about it. He quoted from the Gospel of Luke and Deuteronomy, and he called them both scriptures or the writings or, um, or authoritative Bible from God. He put the New Testament writings, especially the Gospel of Luke, on the same level as the Old Testament. 
So the first reason we think the Bible is our authority and we seek to follow it is because the words of Scripture are, are God's words. Uh, another reason is because the words of Scripture are inspired. Okay, they're inspired. And that's similar to, to, to what we've already said. Um, and, and when we say that they're inspired, we don't mean they're inspired the same way we might talk about a poem being inspired by someone or a song being inspired by, by someone. When we say inspired, we mean that literally God uh, gave them to the person who was writing them. Um, in, in fact, in the passage that, that Josh read to start our services this, this morning or this evening, 2 Timothy 3, 16 tells us that all scripture is inspired by God. All scripture, Old Testament, New Testament, all scripture is inspired by God. But the word that, that's translated inspired, what that, what that literally means is breathed out. It's breathed out by God. All scripture is breathed out by God. God is the one who is speaking it. It's our, it's our authority because God is our authority and the scriptures are, are his words. It's breathed out by God, inspired by him. And he did this in a, in a few different ways. We see, we see this happen in a few different ways in the Bible. First of all, we see examples of where, uh, of where God just uses direct speech. And the, the biblical writer quotes what God says. We see this in Revelation chapter, chapters 1 and 2, when, uh, or 2 and 3, whenever uh, Jesus is, is dictating the letters to the seven churches in Revelation. Uh, in those early chapters, and Jesus says, um, write this to the church. And, the, and, and John copies down exactly what, what Jesus says, right? So sometimes it's direct speech. Those passages that, that say, thus says the Lord, and then we hear what the Lord says. Those are direct speech of God that is recorded in, in the Bible. But there's, there's other ways that God inspired or, or, or breathed out his word through these human authors. In Luke chapter 1, Luke tells us that he went around and, and did an eyewitness um, research, and question people, what is it that Jesus said? Do you remember what Jesus did? Do you remember who he was with when these things happened? And, and he did research, and he used that uh, to, to confirm the things that he's writing, to make sure that what he was writing was, was, was true. And then there are times where the Holy Spirit would, would bring Jesus' teachings to mind after Jesus had already been crucified, resurrected, and, and had ascended into heaven. In John chapter 14, uh, verse 26, the, the apostle John, the disciple John, he wrote, uh, the Holy Spirit will bring to mind all that I have said to you. That's what Jesus told John. Jesus said, the Holy Spirit will bring to mind all that I have said to you. And so there are times later in, in life, after Jesus had been uh, crucified, like I said, ascended, and, and had gone up to heaven, resurrected and gone up to heaven, uh, where the Holy Spirit brought to mind what Jesus had said. And they're recording the words of, of the Lord. Okay? So the, word, uh, the words of, uh, of the Scripture are God's words. The words of Scripture are inspired or breathed out by God, to the point to where we can be sure that the words of Scripture are what the human author wanted to say, right? God didn't, like, take them over. They didn't go into a trance and, uh, and, and, and that kind of thing. They were alive, and, they, and God was using their personality and using their, um, using their uh, experiences and their training and, and things like that, right? The way that Paul wrote is different than the way that John wrote. They use different vocabulary, different words for different things. Uh, the way that Peter wrote is different than both of them. The way that the writer of Hebrews wrote and Luke wrote are, are different than all of them. Their education levels show through sometimes. Luke was a doctor, so when he writes, he uses this really, uh, this really fancy style of, of writing in Greek. And when some of the other ones, uh, Peter and John, especially John, when they write in Greek, they, they write more like a common person that was like a fisherman because that's what they were. And, and so they, their writing styles are, are different. And they use words differently. You know, one of the examples I like to think about sometimes is um, in one of, the, one, of our, uh, one of our passages that, that we know so well, John said that, that the word became flesh, right? He said that Jesus became flesh. The word became flesh. Jesus took on human flesh, right? W what does he mean by that? 
It means that the second person of the Trinity, uh, the Son of, of God, took on humanity and became a person, right? Now, does, does Paul believe that Jesus did that? Does Paul believe that the second person of the Trinity, the Son of the Father, that he took on flesh and became a human person? Absolutely. But Paul would never say it the way John said it, right? John said the Word became flesh. Well, Paul wouldn't say the Word became flesh. Because remember, when Paul uses the word flesh, he, he, he uses that to refer to the sinful nature. You're living by the flesh, not by the spirit. Walking by the, by the flesh, not by the spirit. And so they mean the same thing, and God's speaking through both of them, and yet their personalities and their writing styles and their, um, the vocabulary they use and those kind of things come through as well. So we can be sure that when, when Peter was writing, Peter wrote exactly what Peter wanted to, wrote, to write. And when John was writing, John wrote exactly what he wanted to write. And when Luke was writing, and when Isaiah was writing, and when Moses was writing, they, they wrote exactly what they wanted to write. But we can also be sure that the words of Scripture are the exact words that God wanted recorded, the exact words that God wanted to be written. God chose to reveal his glory, right? He didn't have to reveal anything to us, and yet he chose to reveal himself through his word, through the Bible, through the Scriptures. So we see the Bible's authority because it is, uh, it's, it's, it's God's words. We see it because it, God has, has inspired them himself, breathed them out himself. And then we know that the Bible is authoritative because the Bible is the truth. The Bible is the truth. In John 17, there's that famous passage where Jesus is praying for his disciples and for those that are going to believe uh, what, they, what they preach. And in chapter 17, verse 17, Jesus says, uh, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. He's praying to God. Jesus is praying to God. And he's saying, sanctify these believers in the truth. Your word is truth, right? And Jesus says the word, the, the scriptures, the, the Bible, that, that that is the truth, okay? The Bible is our, is our standard. The Bible is the, the measuring rod, right? If I've got a piece of wood here and I want to know how, much it, it, how long it is, I measure it with a, with a tape measure because the tape measure is the standard, right? I don't, I don't take the board and I take the tape measure to it and the tape measure says 16 and I say, no, that board's 15. The tape measure's wrong. The board's right. No, the, the tape measure is the standard, so that's what's, that's what's right. That is the standard in the same way with the, with, with the Bible. It is our standard by which we measure everything else. It's the truth of God's word. We believe that the Bible is, um, is inerrant and infallible. Inerrant and infallible. Those are kind of technical words, uh, kind of fancy words, but we believe that, they are, that the Bible itself is inerrant and infallible, which means that everything the Bible says is true. There's no error in the Bible at all. Okay? We, just, we just preached a sermon series uh, through the Baptist Faith and Message, and when we talked about the Bible, what the Baptist Faith and Message says about the Bible and what we believe, it says that it is God's word. Uh, I forget exactly the wording, but it says it's God's word, and it says it's without any mixture of error without any mixture of error. Everything the Bible says is true, okay? Now, this does not mean, it does not mean that, that, that it says everything we might want it to say, right? It doesn't tell us everything. There's some, there's some events where we might want to know more detail, right? But like if, if there might be an event in the Old Testament where we want to know exactly how many people were there and, and the Bible just gives us an estimate, right? But what it says is, is true. There's some things that it leaves out. We might, we might like to know what Jesus did between, uh, you know, between the, the times that, that Mark has in Mark 6 and Mark 7. There's, you know, Mark 6, Jesus did these things. Mark 7, Jesus did these things. We might wonder, well, I wonder what he did be between there, right? And the Bible doesn't tell us. So it doesn't tell us everything we might want to know, but everything it does tell us, we can be sure is, is true. 
Everything the Bible says about a certain subject, about any subject, about an event, about a timeline, about history, about anything at all, everything the Bible says is true. We believe that. It's our authority. Okay? And we see this in, in other ways, too. We, we believe that and trust that because the Holy Spirit, um, the Holy Spirit uh, testifies to our spirit that that's true, but we also see other things. The, the, the Bible is historically reliable. There have been all kinds of archaeological studies and historical studies and archaeological digs and all these kind of things, and, and they do nothing but confirm what the Bible says. Right? There's, there's never been an archaeological dig or archaeological study or historical study that found something that turned out to disprove what the Bible says. Now, there have been people who have claimed that, right? There, there was a time where people said, where scholars said that uh, the story in, in Genesis about Sodom and Gomorrah, you know that story about those two towns, those two cities, Sodom and Gomorrah? There was a time where, where uh, historians and, and scholars said there was, there was never, you know, we know the Bible's wrong because there was never any such cities named Sodom and Gomorrah. Those places never existed. We've done all this archaeological research. We've done all these uh, digging and all this kind of stuff, excavating, trying to find. And there's no such place. There's no record anywhere in, in the history of the world about any, any cities named Sodom and Gomorrah. So that proves the Bible's wrong, right? Well, guess what happened several years later? They discovered Sodom and Gomorrah, right? They discovered Sodom and Gomorrah. And so, uh, and so there's, there's never been any kind of historical data like that that disproved what the Bible said. The Bible is is, is true, and, and, and it's authenticated by historical uh, records, and it's historically reliable. It's also internally consistent. So think about this. The Bible is 66 books, right? From Genesis to Revelation, there's 66 books. 39 books in the Old Testament, 27 books in the New Testament, okay? Um, and it was written by a lot of different people, right? John wrote some of the New Testament. Isaiah wrote some of the Old Testament. Moses wrote some of the Old Testament. Paul wrote a lot of the New Testament. Uh, Hosea wrote a book in the Old Testament. It's written over a, over, by a lot of different people over a long time span, right? A, a couple thousand years approximately, written over, over a long um, time span. Um, and it was written in different languages. Some of it was written in Hebrew, like I said. Some of it was written in Greek, like I said. A little bit of it was written in, in Aramaic. And yet if you take the whole thing even though it's written by all these different people and over these different times in these different languages, the whole thing is consistent within itself. John doesn't say anything in his gospel that contradicts what Paul says in his letters or that goes against what Moses said in, uh, in the first five books or goes against what Isaiah said in his prophecy. All those things fit together, right? And the reason they do is because we believe that those human authors were writing it, but through their writing, God himself was writing it. God himself was writing it. We see, the, uh, we see prophecy after prophecy after prophecy fulfilled, uh, and, and we're still waiting for others to be fulfilled, but we see the, a long list of prophecies that, that have been fulfilled already. And then we see the influence the Bible has had on other people, right? We can trust the Bible, and we can follow it as our authority because we can see the results it's had on other people. We can see uh, the faith that, that people have had. People have been, have been saved and, and done all these things through, um, through the influence that, that, that God has on them through the Bible. In the end, the Holy Spirit is who, com who, is who confirms for us, convinces us that this is God's word. In John chapter 10, Jesus said that the sheep hear his voice, recognize him, and follow his voice. And, and the Holy Spirit confirms that in believers. So we believe the Bible, first of all, is our authority because it is God's words. Um, the words of, of scripture are inspired. They're breathed out by God. It's the truth. Um, and the Bible itself uh, gives evidence of its truthfulness. Okay, so the Bible is our authority. We seek to follow it. A second thing that we believe about the Bible, uh, I think this is on the back of your sheet, um, is 
we believe the Bible is clear, the clarity of the Bible, okay? You don't need to know big, fancy words, but if you want to know a big, fancy word and one that's really fun to say, uh, we believe in the perspicuity of the Bible. We believe the Bible is perspicuous, the perspicuity of the Bible, which all that means is the clarity of the Bible, just a big, fancy word for the same thing, but it's fun to say. We believe in the clarity of the Scriptures. And so the question comes up, okay, we have the Bible here, and, uh, and, and okay, I'm going to go with you. I'm going to believe that, that God wrote it, um, and it's our authority. We should follow it. But can we really understand it? It was written so many years ago by so many different people in different languages, and it's been translated into English. And you know that phrase, stuff gets lost in translation, right? We'll talk about that next week. But stuff gets lost in translation, um, and it's an old book. And so if I pick it up and try to read it, can I, can I really understand it? Is it really clear? Can I really understand it? Well, look with me for a second, or, or just listen with me for a second, to 2 Peter chapter 3. Because maybe you've had an experience before where you have picked up the Bible, and you've tried to read it, and it was difficult to understand. It was hard to understand. It didn't seem that clear to you. Well, listen to what Peter says in, chapter, uh, in, in 2 Peter chapter 3. This might give you a little bit of, a little bit of hope. He says in verse 15, um, he says, "'Count the patience of our Lord as salvation,' Just as our beloved brother Paul, we know Paul, right? Paul wrote a lot of the books in the, in the New Testament. Just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you, so he's writing to a group of people um, that, that Paul has also written a letter to. Just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. And listen to what he says next. There are some, some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures, okay? So if you've ever picked up the Bible, tried to read it, and it was, you had a hard time understanding it, you're in good company because Peter says he had a hard time understanding some of the stuff that, that Paul wrote as well, right? So is the Bible clear? Can we understand it? We, we see that some things are, are difficult to understand. However, the majority of the Bible is clearly understandable to all people. The majority of the Bible is clearly understandable to all people. Um, more than that, the overall story, if you start in Genesis with creation and go through the fall and go through God's promises to redeem his people and, and then sending Jesus to, to be the fulfillment of that promise and then Jesus raise, uh, resurrecting from the dead and going up to heaven to rule over his people as, as a good king and savior and then the promise that he's going to come back and finally undo the effects of sin and set up his, his, um, his perfect kingdom, that storyline is easily understood by all people, Right? So the majority of the scriptures can be easily understood by all people. The overall story of the Bible is easily understood by all people. And, and then think about this. Think about, especially the New Testament, think about the letters that Paul wrote, the letters that Peter wrote, but especially the, the letters that Paul wrote. Who did he write them to? He didn't write them to Bible, to Bible scholars, right? He wrote them to congregations of regular Christians, just like you and me. And so when Paul wrote his letters to the churches, he, he wrote them in a way that he expected the churches would be able to understand, right? Now, it's not always easy to understand necessarily. There, there, there's some hard thinking you got to do sometimes, but it's understandable. And he wrote them to be understood. His purpose was for them to be understood. And then, and, and then look and, and, and think about what, what we just read, what Peter, what Peter said. He said, there's some things in them that are difficult to understand. Okay, that's true. But then he says, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction. Why is it that they're hard to understand? Well, part of it's because Paul was a really smart guy and he's writing about some really deep truths, right? And so that makes it hard to understand. But Peter says that the people he's talking about here, 
not only are, are they having a hard time to understand it because of that reason, but he says that they're twisting them, right? They're twisted. They're trying to make them say something different than what they say. They're twisting them, and he says they're twisting them to their own destruction, which means, yes, maybe they have a hard time understanding it, but at least, at least partially, at least to some extent, it's their fault that they can't understand it because they're twisting it themselves, and it says which they do to their own destruction. God's going to judge them for the way that they looked at the, the, the scriptures here. And so they're partially responsible for it. So, so can we understand it? Well, it, it's difficult, but it's not impossible. There are parts of it that are difficult, but not impossible, right? There, like I said, there are parts of it that are easy to understand. Um, and, and, and the whole storyline is easy to understand. And there are some parts that are, that are more difficult, but they're difficult, not impossible. Um, and, and we have scriptures like Psalm 19.7 that says, the words of God make wise the simple. We have passages like Psalm 119 that the words of God imparts understanding to the simple. So if we're having a hard time understanding and we want to understand it, one of the things the Bible tells us to do is to keep reading because the Bible itself will help us to under, understand it. So one question is, can we understand it? And the answer is yes. There may be some parts that are difficult to understand, but, but with some work and, and with some effort, we can understand even those parts. And uh, and overall, it's, it's easy to understand most of it, and the whole general storyline is easy. So can we really understand it? Yeah. But can we understand it on our own? And the answer to that question may be a little bit more tricky. Can we understand it on our own? And, and really, the, the, the general answer is no, we can't. We need help to understand it. In, second, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul tells us that the words of God are spiritually discerned. We need the help of the Holy Spirit to understand the message of the Bible. In John chapter 16, verse 13, John tells, or Jesus is speaking to him, I believe, and he tells them, he tells his followers that the Spirit will guide them into all truth. And so we need the help of the, of the Holy Spirit to understand the words of the Bible correctly. There, there are Bible scholars that, that exist, that are alive right now in the United States who are, who are experts in the Bible. They know Greek better than anybody else in the whole world, and they've studied it for their whole lives and have PhDs in it, and, and, and they write books about it, and they write articles about it. And they know it really, really well, but they don't believe it. There's some Bible scholars like that. There are people that work at universities in the United States. Now, there are a lot of Bible scholars that, that work at, at universities that believe the Bible and, and think it's true and are believers in Jesus. But there's some that, that know it so well and, and study the languages, all that kind of stuff, but they don't believe it. And the reason they don't believe it is because you can't understand it on your own. The Holy Spirit has to enlighten it in your heart, right? There's a difference between revelation and illumination. Revelation is when God reveals something to you, like the words of Scripture or like, a, like a, he might give a prophet a dream or something like that. Revelation is when God reveals some new information to you. Illumination is when the Holy Spirit works inside of your heart, works inside of your mind, and helps you to understand what God has already revealed, right? The Bible is God's revelation. God has revealed himself to us in his word. Jesus is also God's revelation. He's revealed, us to, to, he's revealed himself to us in his son. The creation, in some extent, is also a revelation of God. He reveals himself to us in, in creation. Illumination is when the Holy Spirit comes into us and helps us to see those things for what they really are, see those things for what they really mean, and understand them uh, for, what they, for what they really are. So can we understand it on our own? No, we need the help of the Holy Spirit. But what that means is the Bible can be clearly understood by all people who seek God's help. Right? God's promised to send his Holy Spirit. God's promised to reveal himself 
uh, to his people, to, to people who are, who are following him, to people who are, um, who are humbling themselves and, and seeking him, God will open up the eyes of the blind so that they might see. And so can we understand it? Yes. Can we understand it by ourselves? No, we need the work of the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit is willing to, to, to help anyone understand it. Um, and, and, and then a, a second thing um, that helps us to understand it rightly is we weren't meant to read the Bible on our own. Right now, we're individuals, and we're and we're accountable to God as individuals. When I die, and 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 stand before the Lord in judgment, I'll have to give an account for myself and the way that I, uh, you know, what I believed, what I trusted in, the way that I lived, the way that I acted, all that kind of stuff. So we're we're individually accountable to God, and we have to understand the Bible and come to convictions and things like that on our own. And yet, we need one another to understand the Bible correctly. We need one another to understand the Bible correctly. We can't understand it fully and correctly by ourselves. We need the Holy Spirit to illumine us and enlighten us and help us. But we also need the community of the local church to help us understand the Bible rightly. When weaknesses and misunderstandings that, that I might have can be corrected by you all, would you read the same passage? Um, and, and misunderstandings that you might have can be corrected by, by me and others as we read the Bible together. And, and I'll point out again, remember, Paul especially, when he wrote his letters, he wasn't writing them to individual people, right? He wrote three, four to individual people. He wrote two to Timothy, one to Titus, and one to Philemon. But the rest of Paul's letters he wrote to congregations, and they were to be read together in the community of the local church, right? Now, we need to read the Bible ourselves, as individuals, we're accountable to what we believe, accountable for how we live, accountable before God as individuals, but we also need each other to follow God well. We need each other to be good followers of him. We need each other to be good believers of him. We need each other to fight, to help us fight our sin and to repent of our sin and those kind of things. We need one another, and we need one another to help understand what the word says, what the Bible says. So the Bible is, uh, so we talked about the authority of the Bible, we talked about the clarity of the Bible, and then thirdly, we believe in the necessity of the scriptures. We believe in the necessity of the Bible, okay? Now, there's some things that the Bible is necessary for, and there's some things the Bible is not necessary for, okay? So when we say that we believe the Bible is necessary, we don't think the Bible is necessary for knowing that God exists, right? The Bible itself tells us that God has revealed himself in creation. Um, everybody can see that God exists through what God has made. Romans 1 talks about that. Psalm 19 talks about that. Uh, Romans 1, he says that, that he can be clearly seen from the creation. Uh, Psalm 19 says the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his, the work of his hands. And so we can know that God exists by looking at creation. We don't need the Bible necessarily for that. Um, we also don't need the Bible. It's not necessary for us to know God's character and his moral laws. In Romans 1, uh, Paul also tells us that what can be known about God, even his invisible attributes, what God is like, the type of God that he is, um, those things can be seen clearly from creation. So we don't need the Bible to know that God exists. We don't need the Bible to some extent to know what he's like. But the Bible is necessary for several things. And I want to point out two. The Bible is, or point out three. The Bible is necessary for knowing the way of salvation. The Bible is necessary for knowing the way of salvation. God has only provided one means of salvation for his people, his creation on earth, and that is through the life, death, burial, resurrection, ascension of Jesus. If anyone's going to be saved, if anyone's going to be forgiven of their sins, if anyone's going to be, uh, be brought back into fellowship with, with God, their creator, it's only going to be through Jesus, right? Well, where does God reveal to us what Jesus has done and who Jesus is? The scriptures, the Bible. Right? You can't get that just from looking at the trees in creation. You can look at the trees in creation and see that, that someone made them, that God made them, right? 
And you can look at different aspects of, of creation and see that God is good and that, uh, that there's someone who, who takes care of the creation and, and, and those kind of things. But if we're going to know the way of salvation, if we're going to know, um, if we're gonna know the, the name of Jesus and what he's done for us in, uh, for our salvation, we need to know the scriptures. Either we need to have the scriptures to read for ourselves, we need someone to tell us what the Bible We need to have the Bible to read for ourselves, or we need to have someone tell us what the Bible says, or uh, something like that. But that message comes through the Bible. So the Bible is necessary for knowing the way of salvation. It, the Bible is also necessary for, for spiritual growth, right? We already, already quoted the, uh, the prayer that Jesus prayed in John 17, 17, when he's praying for God to sanctify his people. And, and sanctify means to make holy, to, to, to grow in Christ, to become more like him, um, and, and, and the Bible is necessary for that. Paul, uh, Jesus said, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. So he says, God, I want you to sanctify these people. I want you to, to grow these people. I want you to, to mature these people in, in Christ, in me. And the way I want you to do that is through the word, through the Bible. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. In Matthew chapter 4, Jesus was being tempted by, the, uh, by Satan and remember, one of the things he said to Satan was, man does not live by bread alone, but by the word of God, right? Man does not live by bread alone, but by the word of God. So just like the physical life requires nourishment from food and drink and things like that, uh, if you don't have those things, you will die. The same way the spiritual life is, uh, is dependent on the words of God. If we don't have those things, we will uh, wither up spiritually and, uh, and we will not grow. So the Bible is necessary for knowing the way of salvation, for spiritual growth, um, and then, and then finally, the, the Bible is necessary for knowing God's will, for knowing God's will, for knowing the way that God wants us to live. In 1 John chapter 5, verse 3, John tells us that God has revealed his will to us in the Bible, in his words. So the Bible is necessary. We believe the Bible is our authority. We believe the Bible is, uh, is, is clear and understandable. And we believe the Bible is necessary, at least for these things and, and maybe for some others. And then the fourth thing I want to say tonight, the last thing that, that we believe about the Bible um, and, and is, is that the Bible is sufficient. We believe in the sufficiency of the Bible, the sufficiency of Scripture, okay? And, and I'll be honest with you, for people like us, for people like me, for people like you, for people like our church who, who believe the Bible's true, who believe the Bible is God's Word, who believe that, uh, that what it says is what God says, we do really good at believing those things. Sometimes where we have a hard time, sometimes where we struggle is believing and living as if the Bible is sufficient. Sometimes we have a problem with, this, uh, with that. We don't necessarily want to, but sometimes we have a, a problem with that because we want to, uh, we want to do things on our own, right? Uh, and, and yet the Bible is sufficient for, for us. In, in 2 Timothy chapter 3 that Josh read at the beginning of the service, um, one of the things that, that it says the Bible there is useful for, it says it's breathed out by God and useful for several things. One of the things that the Bible is useful for is it is sufficient to equip for every good work. It's, it's sufficient to equip for every good work. Um, what God has given us is what he's given us. We don't need to add anything to it because this is what God has given to us. Um, the Bible contains everything that God determined we need to know to become a Christian, to live as a Christian, to grow as a Christian, to be a follower of his. The Bible contains everything we need to know. And we shouldn't wish it says anything different. We should trust in God's wisdom in giving us what he's given, right? And we might read through the Bible and wish he told us something different. There might be some topics in there. Surely there are some topics in there that we have questions about that the Bible doesn't address directly. 
And we might say, man, I wish God had said that. There may be some things in the Bible that we, we do and we think, man, that's really hard. I wish God hadn't said that. Wish I hadn't put that part in there, right? But we shouldn't, we shouldn't wish that because the Bible is what God wanted us to have. And the Bible is sufficient for our life in, in Christ. To become a Christian, to live as a Christian, to grow as a, as a Christian. Okay? Now, one, of the, one, one final question that, that has to do with this sufficiency issue, um, I want us to, to look at 2 Timothy chapter, chapter 1. And I want us to think just for, just for a second or two about the relationship between the Bible and our experiences. Right? There are people, you may, you may know people, you may have heard of people. There are people, there are Christians who claim to be Christians, who as far as I know are Christians, who would say that, I know the Bible says this, but my experience tells me something different. Right? There was a famous uh, Christian singer back in, back in the day, I don't know exactly when, in the 80s, 90s, something like that, named Amy Grant. You all, you all know, know Amy Grant, know, know that name? And she's a really good Christian singer, sings a bunch of really good songs and has a really good voice. Um, but there was, there was a time in her life where she divorced her husband and married someone else, right? And one of the things that she said in an interview when that happened was, she said, I, just, I know that God wants me to be happy and I know that this is the person that God wants me to be with, the, the, her second husband, right? Well, we know the Bible says that God does not like divorce and God does not like adultery, right? And so her experience told her that God wanted her to be happy and wanted her to do these things, and yet the Bible told her something different. And she said, well, I'm going to go with my, what my experience says, right? And I don't mean to pick out that, that one sin. We could talk about lots of different things, but that was just a, uh, a, an example that came to my mind in, in the moment. But I want, I want us to look at First, First Peter just for a second, chapter 1, and let's, let's look at what Peter says about our experiences. He says in chapter 16, or chapter 1, verse 16, he starts to tell this story. Uh, second Peter. <laughs> yeah. Second Peter. I was wondering why first Peter didn't really say what I thought it was going to say. First. Yeah. Hey. Uh, second Peter chapter, chapter one. Second Peter chapter one, verse 16. This is Peter writing. Okay. And you got, we're, going, we're going to take a little quiz here in a second and try to figure out what he's talking about. So be thinking about Peter's life. Um, he said, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. So Peter's talking about, and he says we, so he and some other people, they're, they're eyewitnesses. He's talking about his own experience here, right? He says, we didn't, we didn't try to give you some kind of clever myths or, or things like that. We came to tell you our own experience, what we know for sure, because we experienced it. Verse 17, he says, for when he received, when Jesus received honor and glory from, from God the Father, and the voice was born to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Okay, stop there for a second. When did God say that to Jesus? What experience is Peter talking about here that he had, that he was with Jesus, and he heard God the Father say that to Jesus? Okay, baptism, that's one, that's one example. He absolutely said that at baptism, when Jesus was baptized. Uh, the dove was there. The Holy Spirit was there like a dove. Jesus was there. The Father said, this is my son with whom I'm, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased, right? But Peter wasn't there then. So God said that to, to Jesus at his baptism, but Peter wasn't there to witness the baptism. Uh, Curtis said another time, the transfiguration, right? Some of y'all may not be as familiar with that story. There was a time in Jesus' life where Jesus, James, John, and Peter went up onto a mountain. Okay, they went up onto the top of a mountain, 
and Jesus was transfigured. Which that's just a big, another big word for me. He was transformed or changed, um, and he was seen in, his, in the fullness of his glory, right? The fullness of his glory, the fullness of who he was as the son of God. And Moses was there, and, and Elijah was there, and they were talking and, and things like that. But the father spoke up and said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. So that's what Peter's talking about, right? Peter's saying, when we came to preach the, preach the good news to you, preach the gospel to you, we didn't come telling you myths or telling you these clever stories. We didn't come trying to convince you of something using clever words. We came as eyewitnesses of this event. We know that Jesus is who he says he is. I know that Jesus is God. I know that Jesus is the second person in the Trinity at the right hand of the Father, holy, exalted, lifted up. I know that Jesus is who he said he is because I saw it with my own eyes. I was there. I saw him when he was transformed and was seen in his full glory. I saw, I heard when the Father said to him, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased, right? I know from my own experience, I'm I'm as sure as I I could be, just like any eyewitness news show, right? I'm, I'm as sure as I can be because I saw it with my own eyes I know, you can trust me, I know I was there, I'm a witness of it. It's not secondhand, thirdhand, firsthand information, I saw it, I was there. But look at what he says. He says, and after you have, uh, he said, oh, wait, I got turned around again. He said, this is my, so the majestic glory, he said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And then verse 18, Peter says, we ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven. I know that the father spoke to Jesus because I heard it myself with my own ears. I was there, my own experience firsthand, for we were with him on the holy mountain. Verse 19, and we have something more sure, the prophetic word to which you will do well to pay attention is to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. I know beyond any doubt in my whole life that Jesus is who he says he is because I witnessed it myself. I was there. I heard the voice. I saw, the, uh, I saw his transformation. I saw his glory. I know beyond anything else that he was there because of my own personal experience, my eyewitness. I saw it. I was there. I heard it. No doubt at all, right? But he says we have something even more sure than that, even, my, even more sure than my own personal eyewitness account, even, even more sure than me knowing what I saw and, and, and what I heard and I was there, Something even more sure than that, the prophetic word, the Bible, the scriptures, to which you will do well to pay attention as to a light shining in a dark place, right? So we believe the Bible is God's authority, is our authority, because it's God's word, because God himself spoke it out, because it is, uh, because it's clear, we can understand it, so we come to an understanding of it. We believe that it's necessary, and we believe that it's sufficient. It's sufficient to do what God, uh, to accomplish the purpose that God had when he sent it to us. That we should be followers of Jesus, that we should live as followers of Jesus, that we should grow as followers of Jesus. Okay? The Bible's our authority. What it says is what God says. And, And we should do well as a church and as individual believers to follow it and to believe it and to trust it. And so the next, starting next week and, and, and the week after, we're going to talk about this, this Bible that we have that, that's so true, our authority, everything that we have uh, depends on it. We, we trust in God because of what he has told us in it. And so we're going to talk in, in the coming weeks about why it's so important to make sure we have good, accurate, real translations of it, right? Um, I, don't know if, I don't know if it was on a Wednesday night or, or when it was here recently, but they were talking about, uh, about Marcus Lehman and uh, and Rachel and some of the work that they were doing, and um, I don't know if you, if you were there but, and you remember, but they were talking about how Marcus spent, how he and the team spent uh, a long time, weeks, maybe months, 
trying to, to, trying to decide how to translate a certain word into uh, the Chichapu language. You remember the story I'm talking about? They spent a long time. I forget what the word was, but they spent a long time trying to just figure, what's the best way to say this word? Because, because in that language, they don't have a word that means exactly the same thing that this word means in Greek. So what, what, what other word can we use? It took a long time to come up with it because they wanted to make sure they got it right. Because it's important that they got it right. Because it's what God says, and you, you don't want to get that wrong. And if it's my responsibility to, to try to translate that into a way that you can understand it, then I'm going to take that seriously and try to do as, as good a job as I can, the best I can, to make sure that what, what, what the Apostle Paul wrote in Greek means the exact same thing as what the Bible I'm giving you means in English. Right? So next week we'll start looking at different translations, kind of a spectrum of, of, um, of how we think about them, kind of philosophies behind translators, how they translate different, in different ways, different styles, different reasons for the way they translate they do, and then talk about some actual specific translations and kind of where they rank on the, on the different scales or whatever. Um, and, then, and then the week after, King James, and then the week after, questions, answers. Okay? The bells just rang, so you know we're out of time. Um, and we're going to have a question-answer session at the, at the end on, on March the 7th. But I do, before we close, I do want to ask if there's any immediate questions about what we talked about tonight. All right, let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much that you have given us your word. God, we thank you that you have spoken to us. Um, God, we were in a, in a situation where um, if you had not told us the way of salvation, God, we would not have known it. If you had not spoken to us in our sin and, and, and called us to repentance and brought us back to you, God, we would not have, have escaped our situation of sin. And so, God, we thank you for that. God, we thank you for your word that you have given to us that is, uh, provides life to us through Jesus. God, that it tells us how to become a follower of Jesus. God, it leads us and tells us how to live as a follower of Jesus. It tells us how to, uh, how to grow as a follower of Jesus. God, I pray that you would help us uh, individually to be, to be using it. God, might we take it seriously. Might we treasure it and, and um, read it and study it and learn it and memorize it and think about it and, uh, and, and have, have it change the way that we think and the way that we live. Father, as it's our, our gateway to you, the, the, the knowledge that we have of you. And God, I pray the same thing to the church. Might we take it seriously? Might we teach it well, preach it well, uh, make decisions for our church based on what your word says and what you've revealed to us and what you've called us to, to do as your followers. And God, we thank you so much for our Savior Jesus. And God, we pray these things in his name. Amen.